how many of you, you, uh, you, you've ever gone into autopilot mode when you've been driving? You've like, okay, you already know what I'm talking about. Like when it's like a familiar drive, like your commute to work, to school, wherever, and you go into autopilot and just kind of blank out a little bit and you come to like two blocks down the road and you're like, well, I don't remember going through that light or, do, you know what I'm talking about? I, I feel like, I feel like this quarter can be like that. Like Jesus won absolute victory on the cross can be like that a little bit. Where we, we, especially for those of us who have spent any length of time at all inside the church, like it's really easy to go into autopilot mode and just kind of like, you know, blank out, so to speak, and actually miss out on the power of what Jesus paid for. So can we just kind of make an agreement off the top here? Can we just make an agreement that we're not going to go into autopilot mode, that we're not going to allow our familiarity with the cross to actually keep us with a further revelation of what Jesus paid for? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want my familiarity with the cross to lead to a callousness to the cross. I want to be like constantly having fresh revelation of what it was that Jesus paid for. I love, there's these two, uh, two young German, German men in the early 1700s, and they just had this burning passion, this burning desire in their heart to preach the gospel to slaves in the West Indies. And, you know, as you do when you've got this just fire in your heart, you tell your friends and your family and probably your pastor or something. And so they tell, you know, all the usual suspects. And, uh, and, and everybody told them it's impossible. Nobody's going to let you in there. Nobody's going to allow you to preach the gospel and to evangelize to these slaves. And so they had this great idea. They went to a slave owner, and, and they decided that they were going to sell themselves into slavery. And they get on a boat headed for the West Indies. And it said that as they were on this boat, as they were boarding the boat, they yelled out, may the lamb that was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. And our hope and our prayer is that by the end of this quarter, we actually, as young adults, can say, may the lamb that was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. But I think in order for us to do that, we actually need a fuller understanding of what it was that Jesus paid for. You know, Hosea 4.6 says, says, my people suffer for lack of understanding. And I think sometimes that we've relegated, I don't want to make light of the cross, but I think sometimes we've relegated the cross to Jesus has covered our sins. And we've left it at that. And I'm not, and I get it, we're evangelicals, this is kind of what we do. But, but I don't think that that's everything. Is it it? Absolutely. Like, he, he paid for our sins. He, you know, I don't think that there's a, anybody on earth that would claim to be a Christian that would disagree with any of that. Or, you know, that, that we have now been welcomed into the family of God because what, uh, because what Jesus paid for, we now get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Like, that's all good news. But I don't think that it's everything. You know, one of the things that Laura and I have learned having, you know, for the past few years now gone after revival and the more of God and, and you know, seeing people healed, saved, set free, all that beautiful Jesus stuff is that, that there's a lot of believers that while we're actually living in the new covenant, we actually have some old covenant thinking about some things. That while we're living in, the, in what Jesus paid for, there's actually a few areas where we're still believing old covenant style. And, and you know, everything that we will ever need to, to accomplish the Great Commission, to see heaven invade earth on this side of heaven, everything we need to do that was paid for at the cross at Calvary. We, there's, there, it's not the cross plus something else. It's just like, that's it. There's nothing that we're ever going to need beyond that. And, and what I want to do tonight is I want to spend a little bit of time. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, jump over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, we're going to look at verse 4 and 5 for a little bit, because one of the things I don't think that we have fully gotten is, is uh, what Jesus' body accomplished on the cross. 
you know, I love, we live in a crazy time. I, there's no other time on, in the history of the earth that I would rather be alive. I have access to more Bible in this thing than I know what to do with. I've got Bible studies on this thing. I've got apps on here that help me study words and Greek and Hebrew and all that. That's crazy. Um, so I don't care if you're using a physical Bible or a digital Bible. It's all the same. I still prefer a hard copy. Okay, 53, uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. Now, if you didn't catch that, Jesus on the cross paid for healing. On the cross, the body of Jesus was broken so that our bodies could be made whole. Adam and Eve's sin invite invite all of that chaos of the fall into the world. And Jesus comes to undo the effects of the fall. And one of the things that he undoes, it does he, again, I, please, I hope that we're all on the same page here. Yes, Jesus paid for sin, okay? I, I've said it. Okay, we're all happy. Okay, but, on, like, but he also paid to, to undo the effects of the curse. He came to undo the effects of the fall that we've been living in ever since Adam and Eve first sinned and disobeyed God in the garden. You know, it, it says, uh, well, before we get there, I'll tell you, you know, there's, there's kind of two views of sovereignty. You guys are all familiar with sovereignty. Sovereignty is basically God in, in his sovereignty can do what he wants, when he wants, however he wants, because he's God. He doesn't know anybody. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He, he can just show up right now and we'd all be on our, on our faces and that would be the worship service. You know, like this, that's his sovereignty. <laughs> he can do what he likes whenever he wants. But as it pertains to healing, I, I, I noticed a, a few years ago is that there's kind of two views. There may be more. I'm only familiar with two of them. Is that there's God in his sovereignty will sometimes choose to heal people. And it kind of it leaves me th- thinking, feeling, believing that God's, God's sovereignty is a little bit like a divine lottery system. Where sometimes people get healed and sometimes they don't. It just wasn't your, just wasn't your year, sister. You didn't fast enough. But the other view of God's sovereignty is that he sovereignly chose to cover healing on the cross because he came to undo the effects of sin, the effects that Adam and Eve invited all that chaos, all that destruction, rebellion, all that stuff into the world. He came to undo all that. You know, it says says in Acts 10, I think it's Acts 10, 38, it says that Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Where does sickness originate from? It originates from the devil. Sickness isn't God's idea. Sickness is not sent from God to us to teach us some kind of lesson. It's, well, I, you know, I, my sin, you know, I deserve that. I deserve to get whatever it was I just got. That's not how he works. You know, there's some Pharisees, and they come to Jesus, and they say, they say, you know, this, this is the Andrew Hodgson message version, okay? We can't figure out why you're casting out demons, but we reason that the only way that Jesus, you're able to cast the demons is that you must be the prince of demons. And Jesus says, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. If I'm the prince of demons and I'm casting out demons, how many understand? We've got a kingdom divided against itself and it can't stand. If God sent sicknesses and disease to somehow teach us some divine lesson, you know, 
Father in heaven says, you know, Andrew needs to learn a lesson, so he sends cancer my way. You understand that we've got a kingdom divided against itself because Jesus goes around in Matthew and Mark, it says that he, he healed all manners of sicknesses and disease. He did not, he's, if he's healing the sick and God's sending the sickness, you understand we've got a kingdom divided against itself and it can't stand. I love in, uh, in 1 Peter, I think I've got 1 Peter here. In 1 Peter 2.24, in 1 Peter 2.24, Peter actually quotes this Isaiah passage. The, uh, I think that I'm reading out of the, uh, actually I am reading out of the New Living Translation. New Living Translation of, of verse 53, uh, or sorry, chapter 53, verse 5 in Isaiah says, By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. And Isaiah quotes that, but he changes it a little bit. He says this. He says, he himself, he's talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Isaiah says, by his wounds, you are healed. Peter says, by his wounds, you have been healed. Why? He changes the tense because Peter's living on this side of the cross. He's living on this side of the revelation of what the body of Jesus paid for. It's done. Peter says, by his wounds, you have been healed. I, uh, we were at a, 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 an event, Laura and I, recently, and uh, we were asked to do some ministry stuff, and uh, I, I, I had a word of knowledge, um, about somebody who had just recently discovered that they had, that they found, or they just recently discovered from their doctor that they had cancer. And so I gave this word out. I said, somebody, I just feel like the Lord's saying somebody in here, ha, ha, you just very recently found out you have cancer. And now how many understand a word of knowledge isn't just God saying, I, I know things like he's not like, you know, trivial pursuit. God just showing off what he knows. If you've ever played Trivial Pursuit with somebody who knows a lot, it's so flippin' frustrating. Because um, I don't know that much Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> I can talk about Jesus. I don't know. Um, but, but he's not just saying something because he wants to show off what he knows. He's actually saying something. It's a prophetic word because he actually wants to heal that, that issue. He actually wants to heal that issue. We've been in meetings where people have given out a word of knowledge before, and the word itself actually, the person gets healed just hearing the word. Because it's a declaration of what God wants to do. And so anyway, so we're at this thing, and I give out this word. You know, I, somebody here, you just found out very recently that you have cancer. And so I had this gentleman come up to me later, and he says, that was me, actually. I, I very recently just discovered I had cancer. And I said, all right, let's pray for you. And he says, well, I, I want you to know something. I said, uh-oh. Uh, he, he said, I'm not actually praying to get healed. I said, oh, that's weird. <laughs> I, I said, why is that? And he said, I didn't say was, that's weird. I'm thinking it, though. <laughs> uh, he said, well, because, because I want God to use this so that when I'm at the hospital, I can, I can talk to people about Jesus and everybody I meet, I can tell them about the love of God. I said, oh, I got a solution to that. Why don't you get healed and then go to the hospital and tell everybody about Jesus and tell them about the love of God? And, and now, I don't think he liked that comment very much. But, like, I, you understand... Jesus didn't send sickness so that he would be a better evangelist. <laughs> like, that's not the impartation I'm looking for. I'm not looking to grow in evangelism by way of sickness. I'm looking to grow in evangelism by signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. So what we're going to do tonight, we've got a team here. We're going to actually do communion. And, uh, and, and we're going, if I could get you guys now, those of you who I talked to, and we're going to pass out communion um, I know that, that Forestbrook has a long history. I grew up in Forestbrook, okay? I know we have a long history of communion. I'm not looking to mess with that at all. 
Um, but we're going to do communion a little bit differently tonight. When you get uh, the, the bread and later the wine, or, sorry, juice, it's juice, okay? Good grief, we're in church. Um, it, when you get the, oh man, why does wine just come off my tongue so much easier? I don't know, don't read into that. Um, uh, when they pass the bread around, I don't actually want you to, I don't actually want you to take it and then eat it right away. I want you to hold on to it. So if you guys just start passing that around, uh, just hold on to it. Because what we're going to do is I actually believe that people are going to get healed right now. And you see, the, the bread, we all know this, the bread represents the body. The bread represents the body of Christ. And his body was broken so that our body could be healed. And what we're going to do uh, what we're going to do in a moment, once everybody has some, is we're actually going to make a declaration of faith. And the declaration is right out of 1 Peter 2.24, by his wounds I have been healed. By his wounds I have been healed. I, Laura and I believe so strongly that communion is an invitation for healing. That the body of Christ was broken and this is an invitation. This is actually, a, 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 this is a bad word maybe, but portal. <laughs> I wish I could think of a better word right now conduit sure i'll take that it's a it's a open door there we go to healing oh man we're going sideways here so this is what i want you to do i want you guys all to stand up for a moment and if you need healing in your body in any way shape or form actually i want i want to look at something really quick um in 53 verse 4, it says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. Now, that word weaknesses is actually a really bad translation. The, the word is actually um, chala. Not chalo, it's chala. And, and chala means sickness and disease. It mean, almost every single time this word shows up in Hebrew, it's translated as sicknesses and disease. So Isaiah says, yet it was our sickness and disease he carried. And then he says, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. Again, sorrows is a poor translation. Sorrows is actually the Hebrew word makab, which means pain. And not just, not just physical pain, but also mental pain. See, I don't think that Jesus only died for our physical healing. I also believe so that we would be mentally whole, mentally healthy. So what we're going to do is we're going to make a declaration of faith. If you need healing in your body, any way, shape, or form, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, I want you to, in a moment, put your hand on that part of your body that you need healing. If, you, if, you are, if, you're, if you're healthy, if you're whole, some of you need more hands than what you've been given, okay? Just steward the two that you have. If, uh, if you are totally healthy, but you have a family member that needs healing, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were in Egypt, one lamb was sacrificed for an entire household. One lamb for an entire household. You understand that we live in a superior covenant. A superior covenant cannot have inferior practices. So what I want you to do is I want you to stand in proxy for that family member and actually put your hand on the part of your body that your family member needs healing. And then we're going to make this declaration. We're going to say, by his wounds, I have been healed. And then we're going to take the, the bread. Okay. So I want you to hold it up. I want you to put your hand, if you're, if you're standing in proxy for somebody, put it on, on the place where that family member needs healing. If you need healing yourself, put that hand on an area where you need healing. And we're going to make this declaration of faith. Repeat after me. By his wounds, I have been healed. Amen. The, the next thing that we're going to look at is, uh, is what he accomplished in his body, or it, through the blood. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the blood or, or talking about sin because I, you know, 
we spent a bunch of time back in, uh, back in um, our first quarter. We spent a bunch of time back in the first quarter on I am significant, and we looked at the issue of sin, and we saw that God's no longer, call, he's no longer calling us sinners. He's calling us saints. And, and we, we were looking at Romans 8.1, and Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And basically what condemnation is, condemnation just says anything that you've ever done, any sin issue, you are that thing. So if you've ever stolen anything, condemnation says you're a thief. If you've ever lied, condemnation says you're a liar. If you've ever watched pornography, condemnation says you're an adulterer. So condemnation takes that sin issue and turns it into, flips it into your identity. But Paul says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So our identity is no longer found in our sin, it's found in our Savior. See, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, you got saved by grace, and now you're a saint. Like, it's just, that's the gospel. Colossians 2.11 says that when you came to Jesus, you had a circumcision. How many felt that? You had a circumcision. But it wasn't a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away and removing of your sinful nature. See, your sinful nature is gone. Your default operating system is righteousness, purity. That is, that is just what you are, that's normal. Without trying, righteousness is, is what you operate in. You factory reset your phone. <laughs> we recognize we're talking about us, right? Okay. It's, that's a bad illustration. If... <laughs> You're righteous, okay? There you go. <laughs> but what I want to look at real quick is I want to look at the issue of, of generational sin. Because one of the things that we've noticed is that this kind of gets a little fuzzy. This kind of gets a little fuzzy because Jesus dealt with sin, but what does he say about generational sin? Is it real? Does it still exist? All that stuff. Well, I'd like to suggest that generational sin is real. Not Israel. Israel. Um, man, I can't seem to say that. Oh, gosh, you guys. Um, Exodus 34, we're going to read verse 6 and 7 real quick. This is, this is where we get the basis for generational sin. It looks like this. He passed in front of Moses. This is the Lord. He passed in front of Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show, I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion even so, I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So generational sin, it exists. We know because it says so right here in Exodus 34. We know that generational sin is real. It exists. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with generational sin, but have you ever noticed, um, like, sometimes that there, there's a family and, and the kids are struggling with alcohol and, and the parents are struggling with alcohol, and the, I'm just picking on alcohol, but, but, and then the grandparents, and there seems to be this legacy in, through the generations of that family of alcohol or addiction, or, you know, maybe it was, you know, great grandma, however long ago, she, she was a Wiccan, she was playing with the occult stuff, and she invited some kind of, some kind of demonic thing into the family, and that family has actually been living under the oppression of that thing ever since. See, that's what Exodus is saying. It's saying, generational sin is real. You invite it in, and, and God, there is a punishment. There's a thing that lives within that family from generation to generation up to the third and fourth generation, he says. And so, I, so there, there's our basis for generation. It's okay. It's okay. It's, I prayed for it earlier. It's holy. Um, Ezekiel, I want you to jump to Ezekiel 18.2 if you can. Ezekiel 18.2. Uh, Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me. 
what do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, how many of you have ever had, um, you've ever had, I'm sure that you've all had sour candy at some point in your life. Okay, you know that like pucker face you make? I hate sour candy, man. Uh, you know that pucker face you make when you're eating sour candy? Imagine your parents eat the sour candy, but you're the one who makes the pucker face. That's, that's, that's what Ezekiel's saying. He's saying, the parents eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. See, at this point in Israel, they are living in such corruption and rebellion. Sin is rampant. There's idols everywhere. They're marrying people they're not supposed to marry. And the, the Israelites are like, well, the 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 parents, our fathers, our mothers, they eat ate the sour grapes, and we're just we're just tasting, you know, tasting the fruit of what they started. We basically basically what they're saying is they're quoting Ezekiel or they're they're talking about Exodus, where God says that I punish the sin of the children or the fathers to the children and the children to the third and fourth generation. And they're using that as as their excuse for what's going on. They're saying, listen, man, we don't have any control over this because our fathers and our mothers started this thing and we're now living under the effects of this thing. Actually, this is such an issue that Ezekiel isn't even the only one who talks about it. Jeremiah prophesies the same thing, or he brings up the same thing and gives the exact same prophetic word. And the prophetic word is this, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. Generational sin exists. Israel was living under it. The fathers eat sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. What does Jesus say about it? John 18, or John 19 rather. I know we're doing some Bible, Bible acrobatics today. John 19, 28 to 30. This is the account of Jesus on the cross. And it says this. It says, Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When he had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Are you catching this? He's thirsty. A jar of sour wine is sitting there. They soak it, they put it up to his lips, he tastes it, and he says, it's finished. Generational sin absolutely exists. The fathers eat sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. Jesus is on a cross, hanging there. He drinks the sour wine made with sour grapes and says it's finished. That thing that your family has been struggling with, that thing that's been haunting your, your, your family line for generations, I drank it. It's finished. That cup, I'll drink that cup too. He's sitting there and he's saying, he knew everything was now finished. Jesus knew everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I'm thirsty, then drinks the sour wine because he says, I'll drink that thing too. That generational thing that's been hanging over your family because you're, you know, some, some shady business decision that your grandma made or grandpa made. And, and, and it invited this weird shady thing with money into your family that your family has been plagued by ever since that bad decision. Maybe it was fear. Maybe your family invited the spirit of fear into their family three generations ago, but there's this fear thing that's been plaguing your family ever since. Jesus says, I'll drink that thing too. That, that thing that's been plaguing your family, I'll drink that too. I feel like, I felt like the Lord was saying it also with, with the issue of poverty or like the living paycheck to paycheck, I feel like at some point, may, maybe in your family line, uh, some member of your family made a poor business decision. 
and, and there's been bad, bad financial moves ever since then. But it, it came from a, not a, just a bad, a, a bad business decision, a shady business decision. And your family has been living under the effects of paycheck to paycheck living ever since that. And Jesus says, I'll drink that thing too. Maybe it was occult stuff. Maybe it was addiction. Maybe it's sexual, like sexual in nature. Maybe, maybe your, your dad had an, an adulterous affair and, and you've been living under the effects of that thing ever since. Jesus says, I'll drink that thing too. I also felt like the Lord tonight wasn't saying that this is just about how we get affected because of things that we had no control over. I also felt like there's, there may be, with some of us, um, a fear over things that we've done that our kids could potentially walk in. And Jesus is saying, I'll drink that thing too. I know that we're young adults and most of us don't have kids in this room, but Jesus is saying that thing that you did, maybe it was, maybe it was you slept with a boyfriend when you were, you know, 16 years old and it was a one bad decision and you've been nervous that that thing is going to be haunting your family because of one bad decision you made when you're 16. Jesus says, I'll drink that thing too so that your kids don't have to deal with that, so that your grandkids don't have to deal with that and so on. I'll drink that thing too. So we're going to take communion. If I could, or take the, the juice, juice, it's juice. So we're going to drink the juice. And, and these guys are passing around. And we're going to do the same thing that we did earlier, where I don't want you to just pat, like grab it, throw it back, and pass it on. I want you just to grab it and hold on to it. And, and we're going to make a declaration of faith. And the declaration is this. Jesus on the cross, he drank the cup of generational sin so that I don't have to. And so that my family line from here on out doesn't have to. Why don't you guys just pass it on or pass it around? You know, in Ro- or yeah, Romans, Romans 5.17, I got that down here, yeah, Romans 5.17, it says, for if by the trespasses of this one man, this is talking about Adam, for if by the trespasses of this one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life, oh, thank you very much, reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus drank the sour wine so that you get to taste the sweet wine of his blood. Because you're supposed to reign in life. And you can't reign in life if that thing, that bad decision that a family member however long ago made has been plaguing your family. You're supposed to reign in life. So Jesus said, that thing that's been plaguing your family, I'm going to drink that too. So why don't you all stand up? And we're going to do the same thing. We're going we're gonna to hold it out and we're going to make this declaration. What I'd like you to do though, and I recognize this may be awkward, and I'm, I, I only kind of apologize but I want, us, I want us to actually, if you know of something that's been on your family for generations, you know of something, maybe it's free, fear, maybe it's depression, maybe it's, it's financial stuff, maybe it's there's an occult thing, whatever that thing is, maybe it's new age, I don't know. But whatever that thing is, I want you, after we make this declaration, to say, Jesus, thank you that you drank that thing too. And I want you to say it. You don't have to say it loud enough for everyone in the room to hear. Say it loud enough so that you can hear. This isn't about being religious or legalistic, but I do believe that there's power in, in making a declaration, saying it out loud. You understand that there's sometimes there's lies that we internalize, that the, the longer we, we keep it in, the more we empower that thing. And I feel like as we actually make that declaration, thank you that you paid for this thing, that we're going to get set free. Cool? So hold, it, hold that up and say, Jesus, thank you that you drank the cup of suffering and of the sour wine so that I could drink the sweet cup of your blood and that I'd reign in life.
In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that's so good. Oh. Jesus. In John 10, it says, or John 10, 10, it says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I would, I've come that you'd have life and life in abundance. The devil comes, actually it says a thief, but the thief is the devil. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you'd have life and life in abundance. He came to rip all this stuff off. He came to drink this stuff. He came to take the beating so that your body could get healed because he came for life and life in abundance. He came to undo the effects of the fall. Jesus, you are born to reign in life. You are born to reign in life. Thank you.